Hello and welcome to a Manchester United podcast episode with a difference because today we are celebrating our 50th episode. I'm Helen Evans, complimented as always by Sam and Maisie. Guys, congratulations to us getting to 50. Oh, hey, what a team. I know, what a team. Maisie, this has been a big year for you. That's a double 50. Happy days. Come on. How good's that? I did remind Maisie the other day when I seen him that he might have less time ahead of him than he has behind him. That was, that was so oh, nice. That's, kind. Uh, uh, that's great. Yeah. What a start to the podcast. Yeah, what a lovely show that was on MUTV. Well, hopefully that's not the case for the podcast. Hopefully there's more episodes ahead of us than have been. Yeah. Let's take that bit out. That was a bit mean of me. No, leave it in. I love that. It, it is Keep almost it. a year. Can you believe that mm-hmm. since we started our podcast journey? I tell you a secret. The other day, I put a note in my phone calendar for when it is exactly a year so I could message and be like, guys, it's been a year. Oh, and when, when is it? When is it? <laughs> I tell you, it's in October. It is, bear with me, the 28th of October. Of October? Yeah. No, that can't be right. I think that's when, maybe that's when Brian Robson's went out. Yeah, that's when our first one went out, was the 28th of October. Do you want to be a bit louder, Sam? (laughs) I want to get kicked out of the hotel. I'll tell you, actually, I have it in my diary from last year on the 9th of October that we did a podcast. It's just not even a year, then. Yeah, but bear in mind, Maisie, this is going out on the 5th of October, so it is basically a year. Right, Okay. fair enough. Well, happy 50th anniversary to us, podcast anniversary. Yeah. But I want to say, firstly, guys, a big thank you to all our listeners. Yes. Thank you for always getting in touch with mm. us and, of course, listening every week for your emails, for your tweets. Yeah, I tried to get through every tweet that was um, sent to me and everything, so thank you so much, Sam. That is a lie. There's a cold-faced lie. David May will tweet you personal messages of congratulations and Not success. Personal ones. He'll wish you well on your day if you send him a screenshot of your review of the podcast. On the assumption that it's a positive review. Otherwise, you, you won't get wished well from David May. It was review. That was the other word I was looking for. I knew there was another word there, but I yeah. couldn't think. <laughs> Emails, tweets, and... It's written yeah. down as well. It's written... <laughs> I know, but I went off. I went off piste. Went off piste. <laughs> um, I genuinely have loved doing all of these it's been absolutely sensational and to think that we've done 50 is something i'm incredibly proud of yeah and i love that people listen and enjoy it and it feels like not just that we like get to do this and have a little chat and have a lovely old time but it feels like the people that are with us are with us if that makes any sense like i'm you're aware that people are listening and how they feel Yeah. yeah and they're all part of it and there's all the in jokes and stuff and it like Maisie's beer machine and it's just great that that this exists. I love it. Simon, leave my beer machine out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we thought that because we have got to 50, it would be a good time to do a first year review. So that's what we're going to do today. Pick out the little best bits that we've enjoyed. This was, in fact, Maisie's idea. Producer Maisie. Producer Maisie. We don't need producer Tasker anymore. Well... We just need producer Maisie. Listen, it was just a good idea, I thought. 50... You know, yeah. when Beatles about and all those, they always do a Christmas review and all the best of the best. So I thought it would be a great idea for us to do the best of the best <laughs> podcast. Christmas review two months before. Yeah. You're watching Morecambe and Wise as well, were you? <laughs> yeah. Laurel and Hardy. All the best. What was it like when um, Charles Dickens released A Christmas Carol? Everyone must have been excited to um, get to the bookshops. Dick over class. <laughs> That was the best line in any podcast. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> I wonder if anybody's ever referred to him as that. 
<laughs> we still need producer Matthew. Yeah. We do. Well, Maisie, I think it was a wonderful idea and interesting to know that of the 50 episodes, exactly 25 were done in person with the other 25 done over Zoom because of obviously the coronavirus pandemic. That's amazing, that, isn't it? It feels like a long time, to be fair, yeah. since we've all been together doing one in person. It is. It is. But it's been nice to do them on Zoom as well. Yeah, and I think because of because of coronavirus and everything that's gone on, I think it's just brought United fans closer to the ex-players and the current players. Because some of the stories, half the fans around the world will never, ever hear. But it's yeah. great to get into the players' minds and relax them on, to, on a Zoom and and just chat about their, their times. And they've been absolutely unbelievable stories, really have. Not just footballing stories, but in yeah. fact that, you know, growing up, you know, everybody's got so many different stories. It, they're amazing. There's something I think that's really cool that people have messaged quite a lot and said, thank you for doing the podcast because it's helping me get through things. And I mm -hmm. completely understand that because there are podcasts that I listen to and there's been points when you couldn't go anywhere or do anything and it just feels like like putting on a comfy jumper. Like I can't go out and see people, but I can join this mm -hmm. world where I feel like the people I'm listening to are my friends and I get it and I'm in it. And I think it's really cool that if anybody has felt that, people have said they have, but if they have, I think that's amazing. Yeah. And also I would say that it's made a lot of people more accessible to us because I can't say that we would have had a trip to Uruguay. It would have been lovely. You know, there's lots of guests, Nanny and Orlando. I'm not sure that we would have had all of those people on the podcast had it not been for Zoom. Yeah. So that's been quite nice. Yeah. Alan Smith as well, which is a top, top one as well. So, yeah. yeah, been amazing. Really has. And also, I must say, on your point, Sam, and yours, Maisie, I think a lot of people know the footballing stories about people. They know the goals they've scored. They know, you know, the teams they've played for, not just Manchester United. They know the appearances, but it's knowing people's stories from when they were young. That's what I've really, really enjoyed the most. Yeah. Knowing about their childhoods. Like, I've loved that part of it. Absolutely. And I think it just goes to show that if you have a dream, half of the players that we've done on the podcast have had those dreams mm -hmm. and they've, everybody, everyone's fulfilled them. Yeah. I've got a question. Who would you most looking forward to actually get on the podcast? Eric Cantona. Mm. Yeah. Paul Scholes. Oh, you can't. You're only a bit one. No. Well, why? Well, pick your friend. Pick your friend. Well, the the I I mean Paul Scholes obviously because we're mates, but because we had that connection anyway, I think to sit in the presence of Eric Cantona, I knew it was going to be an incredible day, and it yeah. was an incredible day. And one of the things probably I've most repeated to people from the podcast was when Helen asked Eric Cantona what he did after training and he very calmly looked her in the eye and said, Oh, different things. Make love or... <laughs> walking I expecting the, that one. Walking <laughs> on the beach on my, uh, my own. Uh, thinking, dreaming. Did take care of the kids. Anything. Did you take in lots of the well, If you culture? win, it's different. Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, Sometimes uh, before the game in the weekend, I say, oh, we have to win, we have to win because tomorrow it's a day off and I want to enjoy it. Because if you lose, you don't enjoy it. No, no sure. At all. And I loved when we were winning and the day after, for the day off, it was sunny. <laughs> that shit was... Uh, Not many times. Did that happen very often? Not many times. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes. Yeah, that was an awkward moment, wasn't it? I loved it. <laughs> Nobody else 
would have said that and nobody else no. could have said that. Yeah, he has just such an aura about him. Obviously, it's different yeah. for you and I, Sam, because Maisie knows him. But I think you felt you feel it too, still, Maisie. Is that Abs- absolutely? It was great catching up with him. Yeah, I, I'm not quite sure. I think it was called his testimonial. Funny enough, last time I saw Eric, mm-hmm. but it's great. It's it's lovely seeing him, and yeah. you know the stories he tells, um, playing, doing his acting, everything about him is just. Everything he says is just so cool. And had, I'm sure he had us all on the edge of our seats just waiting for him to answer questions. Yeah. And it was absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Really was. Episode 16, Eric Cantona. Before we go, I want to ask you just one last question. What yeah. to you is the meaning of life? The meaning of life? Yep. <sighs> <laughs> Difficult one. Oh, no. I didn't know that question was coming. <laughs> Uh, the meaning of life, it's uh, just, we have to realize that we live in a circus, in a big circus. And do things seriously without taking ourselves uh, too seriously. Yeah, just play sometimes. Sometimes people Enjoy take life. things too seriously. Mm-hmm. If you have a journalist, you have, you feel, you know, people. But yeah, we can. Uh, I don't know. It's different. Depends on the personalities. Yeah, me, yeah, I really, really enjoy. More, more the situation is uh, like a straightful. More, I love to play with this situation. Oh, like the kind of press conference uh, where people are all in blacks uh, like I did in Monaco also more it's like more it's too serious more more I love to destroy everything <laughs> <laughs> can I ask one more just on the back of Sam's question what do you then is the meaning of Manchester United the meaning of Manchester United. He asked the meaning of life. What's the meaning of Manchester United for you? And the meaning of Manchester United is uh, uh, winning, winning, winning with enjoyment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I think it's it's what all fans of Manchester United expect. Not only winning, winning with enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Like for 25 years with Alex Ferguson or before with... Matt Busby. Mm-hmm. That's Manchester United. It's why we love Manchester United. i tell you another one I was really looking forward to, which I did really enjoy too, was Phil Neville. He was amazing. Episode 44, Phil Neville. Well, it's a, here's a moment that's um, special. Um, this is a life 2000... story, this, isn't it? This Sorry, is Phil. No, 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 nearly done. <laughs> Is Michael Aspel going to come out? <laughs> Have a cup of tea in a bit. <laughs> 2007, United are chasing the Premier League trophy. They play Everton, Goodison Park. Everton take an early two-goal lead. The internet's broke. The, the internet's broke, yeah. <laughs> out of nowhere, there's a flurry of goals and people are singing, Phil Neville is a red, he ate Scousers because he's just scored for Manchester United. <laughs> yeah. Was there a part of you that was delighted? Because after that, United went no. on to win the league. No, no, I wasn't, and no. I and I was devastated because that that was the thing that the 
they always used to label at me. Uh, I was a mank. I was a mank. I was a mank. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the day I tackled Ronaldo, when I, when, when yeah, I, yeah. I did a really bad tackle on Ronaldo, they, they, they changed their opinions on me because I went against the club that they thought I loved. And, and that day when it, it was a free cone goal, and I never forget one of the Everton players looking at me, looked at me as if to say, "Did you know?" In a way, and I and I and I honestly, I snapped. And and to be fair, Scolzi, Scolzi, uh, Archie had said, he, 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 he said, "I know you're a Man United fan, mate," but that's taking it a bit <laughs> as we was walking back to the centre circle. And literally, he was like, "You know," but that was the fun we had. But literally, I hated it. I hated playing against United. Uh, I hated everything about it. Uh, I just wanted that game done and dusted, and that was that was a. Oh. Do you know the tackle on Ronaldo? Yeah. Did you actually try and do him? Well, because because it was a nasty. T- I mean, we all get nasty moments in games and stuff. But did you just think I'm going to smash you here? Well, Macy, do you know you get them them moments where you think, oh, I've got you here. I can I can do go both. through you and win the ball. Yeah. yeah, I could, and that was the moment I thought, wow, it was like it was like a tapping. Is this a goal or the tackle? The, <laughs> the tackle, <laughs> and then and then Giggsy and Fletch, yeah. two of my mates, and Rio came towards me, and effing and blinding and, and saying I'm going to smack it. and I was like wow guys I've won the ball there and I was just walking away and not one Everton player came and helped me not one and <laughs> I, up, yeah. I was like come on and, and it was funny because like obviously after the game like like Giggsy said I would have done the same thing yeah. you know and, and I said to Giggsy I would have chased you down as well if you'd have tackled one of our players like that yeah. it was just one of those things absolutely and Ronaldo Ronaldo was absolutely brilliant he obviously rolled around and then the ball went up the other end and I was playing right back. He was left wing. And he just, he just like high-fived and winked at me and said, great tackle. I'd have done the same. It, it was like, uh-huh. it was just, yeah. it was great. It was great. And Ronaldo was, was brilliant. I just thought that would be one with really good stories. And it was, I really enjoyed that one. And I have to say, I really enjoyed Paul Scholes too, because he just made me laugh so much because he just didn't remember anything in his career. Anything. I love that. <laughs> Episode 14, Paul Scholes. When did you decide, nah, I'm going to go give this another go? So I had some time off. I had my testimonial game and then I came back in September. The manager wanted me to do the reserves with Joyce. Um, and I weren't that bothered about coaching. I didn't really enjoy it that much. Um, so I just ended up training with him. Uh, and may as well tell you, Joyce's training is the hardest training in the world. And he, he probably had the fittest team. It was, like I say, every single day you were running, you were you doing stuff that was just so hard and so that was your worst nightmare then yeah it was the worst nightmare <laughs> but I, ended up, I got to Christmas time and I felt as fit as a, I'd ever felt from Long being time. there for 15 years or something so yes. Warren Joyce is a lot to say and yeah it, it was a lot to do with it mm-hmm. um, and there was a game there I think they played Blackburn there um, around Christmas time centre midfield was I think it was Phil Jones and I was either Rafa or Fabio De Silva you know, one yeah. of the twins yeah and so I want to play. I can't get into this coaching business. I don't really like it. Um, I was, I'd have been 36 then. So I'm, I'm just going to come back and play. The, the first team was struggling. I spoke to Phil Neville and, and, and Gary Neville about it. And I was nervous about doing it. I, I went to see Mick Phelan first. I think I got to the train around about seven o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I can't sleep. <laughs> what am I going to say? Um, I said, Mick, I, I, I think I'm coming back playing again. And I, at the time, I wasn't necessarily meaning for United. I just meant for anyone because yeah. I, ju- I just wanted to play again. So I didn't think, you know, a club like this, last thing you need to, a lad who's nearly 37 and he wants to come back and play. And Mick, obviously, because the squad was struggling, the team was struggling, he said, I think it's a great idea. Go and see the manager. 
så... Vil I komme med? Ja, det er med mig, please. Um, so, again, nervous, I'm not sure how, it, how, how it's going to go. So I wait for the manager to get in. This must be like eight, half eight in the morning now. I went to see him and said, look, manager, I just want to play again. I feel I feel okay. And I think I actually said to him, said, look, if, if you don't want me, that's fine. I'll, I'll I'll play for anyone. And I think Phil was at Everton at the, Everton at the time. And he said, look, come and play for us if, if they don't want you to play. And I tell you what, within 30 seconds, he was on the phone to David Gill to sort a contract out. That was pretty graphic. Yeah, it was quick. Yeah, and the rest of it, I, I carried on training, training with the reserves after that for a, a week or so. And the manager says, look, we just won't tell anybody. We'll, we'll keep it secret. And I was due to play for the reserves against Newcastle, I think it was, on the Tuesday or Wednesday before we was playing City in the FA Cup. But it got called off, so I couldn't play. I ended up then, I trained with the first team on the, the day before a game, but still my coach's kit on and stuff, it was just like a... Yeah, you needed so none a, of them were saying... No, it was like you needed an extra body and stuff, so yeah. I still had my PS with my, my coaching kit on. I, I, I trained with them on, a, on the... I think the game was on a Sunday, I think. Um, so I trained with them on a Saturday morning and the manager said, just come to the hotel and act as if you're a coach, really. I don't know why I didn't want to tell him. I, I don't know what the big... Probably big didn't want the spotlight on you, did you? Everybody fussing. Yeah, about yeah, possibly. I remember Johnny saying, actually, that they were just like, yeah, we just thought he was getting on the bus yeah. and like yeah. coming to the hotel and <laughs> nobody genuinely had a clue until well, changing. I think the day. psychology behind that secret is unbelievable lift for United. One of the most successful central midfielders of all time is going to play and a hammer blow for Manchester City to see your name on the team sheet. None of them would have gone. I'm not sure it was a hammer blow for them. <laughs> it was 3-0 up when I went on. It was 3-2 <laughs> after 10 minutes against 10 men. <laughs> they were rubbing their hands. Also says a lot about uh, yours and Sir Alex's secret keeping. Yeah. Give people to tell a secret to. Didn't you play yeah. golf <laughs> together the day before? Haven't you said that? And you, you didn't know? We probably played the week before, yeah. Never met. It's a secret, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but the manager said, just come to the hotel and pretend you're just on the coach, come sit with the coaching staff, have a glass of red wine and stuff. Uh, the night before a game. Blooded. Pardon? Blooded. The bar till two in the morning. <laughs> what about your, what about your boots, then? Somebody said that you just went to a local shop and just picked a pair of boots on. Yeah, I did. And do you know what, Johnny? It was your Johnny who spotted... Um, I had to go to no, DW in Oldham, yeah. the retail part. Of where, <laughs> I had to go and buy a pair of boots because I couldn't, we couldn't tell Nike. And the coaches' boots they give us weren't, weren't great, so I had to go and buy a pair. I think they were 50, 60 quid or somewhere. <laughs> so everybody knows, and I get to the ground, my, my, my shirt's up. I said, I knew it, I knew it. Danny Welbeck, I think, said, I knew it, I knew you was coming back. And you're still you're just embarrassed, aren't you? Kind everyone looking at me, thinking, yeah. what's he doing? Is he a <laughs> Why is he coming back? So I put my boots on, we go out for the warm up, and Johnny's next to me warming up. He said, Are they them cheap boots you bought? <laughs> <laughs> so what do you mean a 50, 60 quid though? He said, no, you bought the snide ones. Expensive taste, you see. Bought yeah. the snide ones. <laughs> he said, yeah, you bought the snide ones. Um, they were like plastic. They were the same colours as the real ones, but yeah. they're just a little bit of plastic. Um, so Johnny, Johnny had, me, had me for that. <laughs> then the game happened, which, like I say, they had a man, so I think they had Vincent Company sent them. Yeah. Was it Company for that two-footed tackle? 3-0 yeah. up, yeah, against 10 men. And I remember warming up in a game match and David Platt, and he was like um, assistant manager, wasn't he? He's, he said, what what the f- are you doing here? You know, well, what are you thinking of? And when I was warming up, I was thinking exactly the same. What, yeah. what, what am I doing? <laughs> I could just be at home watching this. I could be sat in a pub somewhere <laughs> watching it. What, what am I doing coming here? 
anyway, manager thought it was safe enough to bring me on uh, 3-0 up with probably about half an hour to go or something. I think he gave me first pass away. Aguero scored. <laughs> then they got another one. So he was hanging on for day life, really. But no, got through it. And I think we I started the next game thinking Stoke or something like that here. And that went okay. And you know, for the rest of that season, it was all right. I know City went on to, to win the league, didn't they? The last day of the season against QPR, that was that. That was that year yeah. when Aguero scored and we was up at Sunderland. That's right. I think we came off the pitch and they were, they were getting beat. Yeah. So that was disappointing. And then I decided to do the year after as well, which was, that was a mistake really. You think think, so? Yeah, I, I was I was, I was gone. I was, I was knackered. I remember we played a, a game earlier in the season against Tottenham. Uh, I remember Gareth Bale just going past me and I thought... I, I, we actually didn't play that bad. I think we got beat three two, but I, and I couldn't even kick him. I was that I was that slow. You've been a bit harsh. Gareth Bale has gone past a lot of people in his career. Yeah, no, but a lot of people have gone past me, but don't really Only carry on the bus further. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't even that get, get that close him to yeah. to stop him. And when you talk about recovery before, I remember the day after that they brought some like some kind of suits in, like a oh, like a big body suits. Yeah. yeah, that puff up all around you. And I, I remember being sat in that in an ice bath and I. Was, I could be still be there now I would love to have stayed there but it just I, I felt so bad and that was really in the season I, I actually thought about then that going to see him and said look no this is this is, this is going to be a waste yeah. of time um, but I thought after what had happened a couple of years I couldn't really go and do that again it looks silly so I played maybe 20-25 games I was injured a lot towards the end of the season so the good thing is a lot of people retire and think oh do I regret retiring but as you have you did retire and then you went back and at least you knew then that, that yeah. was the end. Yeah, exactly. Rather than yeah. finishing and thinking, oh, what if, you know, I yeah. could be on the pitch well, in that game rather than sitting in the Are park. we confirming you're definitely retired now? <laughs> oh, maybe, you never know. Okay. It's not rolling out. There might be another surprise. Gym a little bit more. You, you promise I'll do a job now. <laughs> yeah, that was really funny. One of, one of our albums with his, um, his sewer story. Episode 32, The Kit Man, Albert Morgan. You're talking about things going wrong. Do you remember the Sunderland game? Where the players, um, oh, I think it was during no, no, the second no, half. I'll, 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 go on then, go on, carry on. No, you tell the story. Johnny was there, wasn't he? Yeah. He came home in his cap. Before I say anything, Sunderland Football Club were absolutely fantastic about this. They were fantastic. Now I'll tell the story. <laughs> Good. We go to the ground, there was a, a drip, drip, drip. They had a bucket under this drip. You know, it was there, and they said, "Oh, we've we've got we've got a leak up there." So all the boys were getting ready. You know, they're all they're all walking round this bucket. The manager's in the corner, like he did. He'd done his team talk at the hotel, and he was reading his program. We all went out on the on the pitch for the warm up, and I goes out a few minutes later to pick all the tops up and different things that the boys left behind as they got warmed up, and one thing another. I'd been out there a few minutes, and one of the security guards come in. And he said, uh, Albert, he said, uh, I think you better come in the dressing room. He said, uh, that bucket's getting a bit full. So I said, yeah. I said, I'll come in now. I said, and change it. I said, we'll get the bin. Anyway, by the time we got in, the, the bucket had been changed to a to the bin. Somebody had put the bin under it. Well, we walked in and it was like they had these 8 by 6 ceiling tiles. And before you could say whip, one of these ceiling tiles just burst out. It was just... Oh, shit everywhere. Everywhere. Oh, 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 it was bouncing. The gaffer just got out. 
It was all over the suits, the clothes. Oh, my God. Balls up the ceiling. So it was just, a, oh, Jesus. Berbatov was going mad about his <laughs> shoes. His shoes were just sunk in three inches of that is horrendous. What did you do? How did you fix that? All their phones, their wallets, everything. It was horrendous. Absolutely, it was horrendous. There was wedding rings, there was bloody expensive watches, there was this, there was that, all in the shoes and one thing or another. Me and Gary Armand and one or two more, we just took our shoes and so I'll tell you what, Ellen, it, it cures verrucas. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't. You didn't have to. You weren't wading through it. You threw it. Honestly, trying to oh. save everything. Oh, no, oh you, my oh, god! Oh no, you couldn't. You couldn't. You couldn't save a thing. Everything had gone. Oh, you couldn't save a thing. Oh, no chance. Oh, shoes, suits. Like I said, the only thing. The only thing we were doing. We were going in the lads' socks and the and the shoes to get the jewelry. To get the jewelry and the watches and oh, of course then. And this is like 10 to 3. Game kicks off at, at 3 o'clock. Where was all the shirts? They were all covered in shit. No. They were all splattered in, in shit. All, all, all. <laughs> this is quality. It's absolutely insane. I've never heard this story. Do you know what? I actually don't know whether anybody's told this story. Yeah, this is extraordinary. Over the wall. Everywhere. What was the score? What? What was the score? I think the sh** won 3-0. <laughs> <laughs> I must ask Johnny what it was. But the players came home in their kits, didn't they? Let me finish. It was like 10 to 3, so they had to put the game back half an hour. That's right. Of course, all, all the boys are saying, I'm not playing in that. How can we play in that? You better get some kit off Sunderland. And how can we play in this? And I'm not playing in that. But the kit man, he has a rabbit. Yeah, I always thinking... The old saying came out then, cover your ass. He goes in, he <laughs> literally, goes in the, literally. Yeah, literally. He goes in the <laughs> shower room at the back, comes out with his spare set of kits. They are boys, go out in that. Brilliant. But in the meantime, and it was so, so funny this, Steve Brucey was the manager at the time. He heard about this. Well, Brucey was one of the best sweepers in the Premier League, to me, that we, have, that we ever had. But that day, he, was, he did more than sweet. He come in at another door at the back of the dressing room. I've never seen a bigger brush. He had this brush, must have been about 14 foot wide, this brush. <laughs> There's big Brucey at the back coming in, just shoveling this <laughs> out, out of the dressing room. But honestly, I'll never forget Brucey doing that. Brilliant. That's brilliant. And then, I, and then we, and then we went out. The boys went out and played. They came in at half time, and then they all started winding me up. Then Albert, I want a, sh I want a shirt. I want a shirt for the second half. Let me shirt for the second half. I, I won't tell you what I won't tell you what I said, but that 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 was horrendous. That was horrendous. How has that never ever come out? Yeah. Then we had to to get the bus to to come to, you know, back to the ground or come up to the ground, and we were taking all the. Uh, all the, the lads' trackies out of the bags because we just we just put all the suits and everything in, in black bags. And, and like I said at the start, Sunderland Football Club were fantastic. Nothing ever came out about it. You never heard anything about some of the suits coming back on, you know, like, like they did. They just they must have just destroyed the lot. Well, they would have done because it was covered in 
<laughs> really? You haven't mentioned that? What was the reason given for the game being delayed half hour? I, I, I'm not, I don't know. It was up to my neck, innit? <laughs> oh, because of a shit in the dressing room. <laughs> no, but I don't think it actually came out, that story. It will do now. <laughs> <laughs> it was horrendous. That was incredible and disgusting. That was so funny. Brilliant. I always still think about, though, is how he said he's got really nice soft feet. <laughs> I didn't even remember that. I still think about that. All right, I have a question for the pair of you. Yeah. I'm, I think, the only person yet to cry on the podcast. And I don't say that as a judgment, because I cry no. all sorts of stuff. It I just hasn't happened. Well, do you know what? That says more about you than it does about us, if I'm totally honest with you, Sam. Yeah, to be fair, Sam, though, <laughs> you miss half of them. <laughs> I think I've missed three. Okay, what have we cried at? Lou, yeah. that was, oh, that was very, very yeah. tough. Episode nine, Lou McCary. You are one of the warmest people I've ever sat in a working environment with. You don't panic about the cameras and the microphones. You're so at home and so happy in the company of people. And I think that I imagine, I don't know you especially well, but I imagine that's why you run this place because you, you just want to be with people and you clearly want to help people. And it's so obvious that you really enjoy it. And I think like from a football perspective, you've had such an incredible career, but something, and, and I hope in me asking this, this will help people that are listening because I'm sure there are lots of people that sometimes will wake up and have had a tough time or a bad day and think I can't get anywhere. And, and you are doing extraordinary things and doing it with such a big smile, but have, experienced tragedy I think that I certainly haven't come closer and I think most people wouldn't in that in 1999 your son died yeah and I would have thought a lot of people wouldn't know that how do you keep going and how did you I don't know how do you how do you I don't know what the right words are to be totally honest but I just wonder where you find this strength from because you are such a joy to be around my sidekick over there hope he doesn't mind me calling him he's my sidekick when I met him, one of the things that he kept saying all the time was, be happy. That was at times when I wasn't happy. This was my management at Stoke. There was games you'd lost, and he comes along and goes, boss, be happy, right? So I thought, you can either be happy or you can be sad. So there's a choice. It's one or the other. It's better being happy than sad. So I decided, right, whatever happens to me in life... Um, something worse is going to happen to somebody. So unfortunately, I, I did lose, I lost my son. And a um, couple of months before 99 European Cup final, I was employed at the time by Talk Sport. I'd agreed to go to Champions League final to work for Talk Sport. So I lose my son, uh, suicide. And the first thing I'm thinking about there's no way I'm going to that Champions League final. Um, there is no way I'm going to be at that stadium on the night to, of that game. But wife and other two lads I've got both said to me, look, go and do it. Go, go and do it. Go and, and do the co-commentary. And I, I, I did the co-commentary with Alan Parry. And the last place I wanted to be was in that stadium. Didn't want to be there. My two sons were there. I'd got them a couple of tickets, so they were there, obviously, at the United end. The game went, as we all know it went. We looked like losing, and I thought, this is just um, this is just sort of making it a bit worse, although football can never interfere with life and death. 
and I'm sitting there doing the commentary and I think to the best I can and I'm desperate to get through the 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 90 minutes but 90 odd minutes as it turned out to be this is possibly why I've got a bit of a soft spot spot for Ollie and I'm not ashamed to admit it that um when he put the ball in the back of that net I lost the plot a bit I forgot I forgot about my son which which I did forget about him for probably about 40, 50 seconds or, or even longer. And I think, I think I went crazy. Talk Sport still got the, uh, the, the whole game and, and the, the commentary. I think I went crazy. I'm going to ask them for it soon. But I know I went, di- reacted different to what I did um, because out of the blue, he pops up, puts the ball in the back of the net and you get excited. Went after the game then, went met my two sons and they went back the following morning. I went, I went back to, um, obviously, the couple of days after it. And then, of course, you're travelling back on the plane and you've travelled out there on the plane. And I remember going out on the plane and thinking, what am I doing here? And I was thinking, I just hope, he, he, you know. Um... I just hope he doesn't get annoyed with me. Of course not. Just the fact that I've been to a football match. You made me cry, son. <laughs> Sorry, Lou. Not me. And the cameraman, who's a Liverpool supporter. <laughs> <laughs> hope you're crying. <laughs> hope he's crying on Sunday. You hope he's crying on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! Right? Yeah. Uh, I never cry. <laughs> never, never, ever, ever cry. You were re- really reliving that moment there at that time, though, weren't you? And bringing back those memories which yeah. you were thinking of at Bellin, that time. I never cry. <laughs> Be honest with you, I never cried when Johnny left. <laughs> I did. <laughs> you did. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, oh, apologise for that. Lou, there is absolutely nothing to apologise for. And um, he was a good player, my lad. And um, all three of my boys played, but he was a good player. Uh, I wouldn't say that about him if I didn't really mean it, but he was a bit better and he had something going for him and he was, he was a Gaza-type player, you know? He had... He had Bit of cheek, and um, but um, got a lost a little bit, and when he got lost, I wasn't there to to support him, and probably that's why I feel comfortable in here yeah. that a lot of people in here are lost. The difference is though, I am here to support them. I would have bolted my eyes out of that. Oh my god! Yeah, you would have struggled, Mosey. Yeah. When Stephanie was talking about um, how he heard about me, ah, the babes, of course, yeah. Episode 48, Alex Stepney. What did it mean as Matt Busby walks in? Does does that mean anything? Of course, it, well, it, it does, Sam, because there's a simple reason which I, I probably missed out when we're talking about talking about earlier coming up from school. But in my last year at school, um, when, I was, when I was 15, uh, I had a little job. Uh, so that when I come home from school, I, I actually... Uh, used to go to the corner shop and I, I, I used to go and deliver groceries to 
to old people, you know, on my bike. Uh, and because uh, I, I, I mean, I was at 15, like, and <laughs> I, I've got to tell you that I just knocked on this door, this guy who used to talk to me about football, and he comes to the door and he was crying. This old guy was crying. And I said, well, what's the matter? He said, have you not heard? I said, what? what? He said, the Manchester United planes crashed. He said, lots of players have lost their lives. And it hit me. It not only hit me as much then, as what it done to him. You know, he, he was a London lad, you know. And I've got to tell you that, that it affected everybody right across the country, right across the world. And I, I knew how much it meant, Manchester United, and how it happened, obviously, on, on the travels to the European Cup. And here I am. How the hell have I come in this short time to be part of the same team, you know? Yeah, because just a few months earlier, you were playing third division, third tier. Well, then you've gone to Chelsea. Yeah, then yeah. you've gone to Manchester United, sharing a dressing room with some of these players who have been through this absolute tragedy. It's obviously touched Maisie, that story, because he's got tears in his eyes, I can see. Yeah. Um, but that is just incredible. And I'm sure for you, Alex, you didn't probably know how to approach the team, how to approach Sir Matt. That, Ellen, you're, you're absolutely right, because I wondered, you know, and what Sam said there, what was, what was, what was going through my mind uh, when this happened. And my th- first, first thoughts were, do they talk about it? Do they talk about it? And do you know what? The f- from the very first moment I met those lads, which Matt introduced me, they were training on the on the Wednesday morning because they were playing Blackpool in a, a league cup tie in the evening at Blackpool, and he took me and he introduced me to those lads. And I tell you what, I knew then, not a word. They welcomed me with open arms, but I I knew no one spoke about it, and we never did. No one ever spoke about it. I mean, and when you've got Matt and, uh, of course, Bobby and, and Bill Fultz, you know, who survived the crash, mm-hmm. it was never, ever mentioned. Was that, did that feel strange to you or you were you quite happy with that? No, I, I, I was very happy with it. Yeah. I, I, I've always felt, that looking back, I mean, coming back to, to where we are now, that even when eventually we we done what we had to do in 68, it was ironic that um, when that final whistle went, if you look at the things, all of us went to Bobby, Bill and Matt. Mm. So all what I, I had in my mind, every other player had in their mind, but without saying anything. It was just for them. Yeah. And, and for the families who... Of the loved ones that had been lost, we were in the stand, and we knew that. And we looked. I remember looking up, and you know, it's it's easy now because we think of Manchester United as trophies and success and and glamour and and all of those things that have happened since. But I suppose prior to your first season, for those eight years or so, Manchester United were were what were they to the world? They were a team of of sympathy or a team of hope or a team of what what was it? Sam, I, I think I think it was down to uh way that the great man Matt had come through everything. 
the team was actually demolished. I mean, I saw that team play, and I mean, uh, you, it, they were incredible. I mean, obviously, there's always you can always say at the time who was the best player. Well, Duncan Edwards stood out for me like a, you know, like a sore thumb, which is incredible. But the rebuilding has started, and they won the FA Cup in '63. So five years after. You know, he built a team and then we got to the two semi-finals, I think, or quarter-finals of the, of the, of the European Cup, sorry. Uh, so everyone was behind him to, to, to try and win it and win it and win it. But you had to win the league to be represented, you know, uh, be representative in, in, in the European Cup. It, it was no full faces. It was just you had to win the league. So consequently, by winning it in 68, we, we won it in 67. Not to to linger on the tragedy for for the sake of it, but there's only so many people who are around now that can tell stories like you can of the day you found out that it happened. Mm. And I've only really read about that. No, no one ever really. Well, it's not something people want to talk about too much. And I just wonder there might be people like me who are younger who are listening who you can only imagine how the news broke and how people found out and how they reacted. And really, you can only imagine that based on how the world is today. But what really was that like, that guy telling you that news on the doorstep? No, no, no. It, it was heartbreaking. You cried yourself for, for the simple reason that, you know, I'd seen these players. I'd seen them play, you know. And the people even, I mean, I'm talking about London now. I mean, I, I assumed it was the same all over the country and, you know, paper-wise, media-wise, that everybody, you know, the following day, I mean, See how our, our players who'd survived, how how were the ones who were injured, how they were getting on, and it went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. So it, Manchester United was it became you know you know the number one topic all the time. How these players were because they were innocent guys, they were honest professional footballers, yeah. and it, it, it made. I suppose, I mean, being hard, but I mean, I suppose that crash really actually uh, made more supporters around the world become Manchester United supporters. I think just because he's talking about the club and the history and you put yourself in that position or in those moments and so powerful, so powerful. Yeah, Callan, you cried at Patrice's, but it was—it wasn't a, necessarily a sad moment. It was like um, overcoming his adversity and getting to a point where he sort of made it. Yeah, I think I cried at Patrice when he was talking about laying his his kit getting laid out for him. I just thought that was really emotional because he thought I've made it, and I think he'd said something about calling his mum or something along those lines, and that, that was an emotional moment. Episode twenty-eight, Patrice. Ever. It's so crazy because I was playing in the street and he was a guy, I remember his name, Onofrio Jamarezi. He was watching us and he come after we were playing with friends. So it was like a friendly game and he, he was like even a, a five VS five, not like 11 VS 11. And he say like, tomorrow, I will, uh, can I have your own number? I will call your mom because I, I want you to do like a, a trial in, uh, in Torino. And I was like, oh, maybe this guy is just talking, but he won't. And the next day, actually, he called my mom. And after two days, I fly to Torino and I had a trial 
and I remember I was good and they want to keep me with the under 17. And in the same time, he was a guy from Marsala and he was uh, like, wow, you know what? We love you so much. You're 17. We're going to give you a professional contract. So can you come to Sicily? And that's where all he starts. So like such a lucky man. Was that scary for you, daunting? Oh, he was... Uh, it was a crazy experience, but to be fair, I have one of my best year in Italy. I was uh, 17 and I remembered um, it was crazy because I go to Torino and I fly back with, uh, with a plane. But when Marsala is a team in Sicily, they want me and I sign with them. I came back to, to France and after I, I need to take a train from uh, Paris to uh, Milan. And after took another train to join them because they were in pre-season. So that journey was just crazy. I remember I was I arrived at the train station uh, with no cell phone, with my tickets and my own number writing in a paper. And I came and I looked those big panel, you know, like the old movie when the panel, like they changed the letter every time to say, to see where is your next train. And I was looking and I didn't see my train. And it was um, a guy's, and actually at the end, I know he from Senegal, he came, he said, what's happened with you? I said, I don't know. And I show him my ticket. He said, oh, your, your ticket, uh, your train left uh, one hour ago. I was like, wow. So I, start, I started panicking and he was like, okay, don't worry. I will call uh, your mom and I give him the number and he called. And he said to my mom, look, I am with your son. Uh, I'm a stranger. I don't know him, but don't worry. I will take care of him. He, he missed his train. And my mom started crying. She was like putting back in the train. He need to go come back to Paris. And he was like, no, don't worry. I will take care of him and everything. And my mom was like, so like crying on the phone. I was like, no, mommy will be okay. And that man, that's why if I can't find that person, I know millions of people will say he was me, but I recognize him exactly. He take me to his home. I remember he was one, uh, just one room. It was like five people. We sleep in the same mattress, in the same room. They feed me. In the morning, he wake me up and he put me, he, he take me to the train station. I go to the, I was inside the train and I remember it was too none. And because I didn't speak Italian. So every time I was like coming, sorry, this is the station. This is the name of the station. They were like, no, tranquilo, tranquilo. It's okay. It's the next one. It's the next one. So I remember I arrived to the station. I think that, the name it was like maybe Georgia, something like that. And no one was there. No bench, just the wind. And I wait 20 minutes, an hour, two hours. Start being like that, no light, three hours. I was on my own, no phone. And I remember the car, one car came and he was like, oh, schools, I'm so sorry. They say you missed the, the train. We didn't know you will arrive. So finally, I see him. I remember I hug him. I said, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. And we go to the hotel. And when we arrived to the hotel, I remember all my teammates, they were already like uh, having dinner. And they said, go to your room and change, put uh, the tracksuit and everything. And that's one of the best days of my life. Wow. I arrived in my room, the tracksuit on the bed, the, like the trainers. And I remember I was like in the front of the mirror. I was like feeling like it's Christmas. So I was looking <laughs> myself feeling so proud and I come downstairs and when I come downstairs everyone clap me and my teammate they give me a warm welcome and I remember it was the first time for me to see like two folk on the side two knives and people were serving food so for me it was just like you know from the street to that and I remember they allowed me to call my mom I called my mom I said wow mommy this is the paradise we are all dressed the same 
people are serving us food. You know, it's just amazing. I was living my best life. And these are my best memories, no matter if I win the Champions League and stuff. But those moments were my best memories. Wow. Is it crazy to think how, how quickly you went from, like you just said yourself, begging on the streets in front of shops to that moment? Because you were still a teenager. No, yeah, I, w- I was 17, but it, it was like, when I, I, I arrive and I see I will, I will have my own room and all those stuff, for me, it was like, that's it. I don't need any more. I don't need any more. I was living my, my best life. And, you know, my, 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 my mom, like I remember the first day she came to, to watch me play a game, she cries, she cries straight away. And it, it wasn't easy. And that's why, you know, I will talk a little bit about the racism. And I think I had my best uh, moment in Sicily. People were so warm, but I was the only black player in all the team. So for them, it was like more like they never see a black person. I will tell you a story. And it's a true story. <laughs> when I arrived to, uh, uh, to Sicily, because this was the precedent, when I arrived to Sicily, I remember when I arrived to the airport, like it was one man with his kid. And he, they were looking at me and I was like, wow, I'm already famous, you know. <laughs> I was looking and he said, can I have a picture? I was like, yes, of course. But after I see his child was starting to touching my skin, you know, and I was like, why is touching me? He said, no, because we never see like a, a black person. So they were like so in shock. And I remember when I, the first time I, I, I show my mobile phone, some of my teammates, I'll be honest, they, they think I didn't know how he worked. Because when I turn on the TV, I saw what they were watching. They were watching like people, like black people, like on the forest, living in the forest. So they think everyone was like that. So that's why racist sometimes people is more like about ignorance, you know. And like I say, that they never, uh, I, I never have any racist taboos when I was playing for, for Marsala. I mean, for my town, but of course, when I was playing against, against team, they were like throwing some banana and making the monkey nose. But more they were doing that, I was even playing much better and I was hurting them like even more. But that's why I mean, like, I think if I didn't grow up in the street, I don't know if I, oh, I will react to all those episodes, mm. you know, being on your own and stuff like that. Yeah. It wasn't easy to be fair. Like when I remember the referee was blowing the whistle and I was like feeling so heavy and I was on my own, on my balcony. Sometimes I cry because I was like, what I'm going to do now is nothing to do here. And I was just, you know, living about football. Just, I, I think it, we should touch on some of the stuff you just spoke about then. But I don't know if you noticed, your story made Helen cry. Sorry, I thought no, I was going to come No, I'm sorry. Up. I didn't want to. I was like, wow, guys, you invite me in the postcard. Normally, I make people cry of laughing and being funny. Yeah, I was thinking, <laughs> this is going to be the happiest and hour of my he's, life. He's crying. I feel a little bit... <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Uh, okay. That's a true story, and this is my story, and uh, yeah. Very touching. <laughs> but Tracy Evers was absolutely brilliant. I love that, that was one. Class. Unbelievable story. It was class. Yeah. You know, begging on the streets of Paris, asking for a, you know, I know he says a pound, but it's probably a euro or some francs or whatever it was at the time when he was a kid. But that journey, you know, going and seeing his brother outside McDonald's just so he can, might get a burger at the end of the night. Mm to fill himself up because he's had absolutely nothing all day. That's that's a tough, tough upbringing. Mm-hmm. And for him to mention it and to, to talk about it is, for, well, I would never have known that. 
and that's that's like a, an absolute world exclusive that mm-hmm. nobody knows. It's it's brilliant. Um, mm. I think when when you talk to people the way we talk to people, we tend to get the best out of them and the stories out of them. They just seem to, you know, just chat about their lives. But that's that's something that's stuck in my head, and I told mm-hmm. loads and loads of people that story, and I think it's I think it's an absolute fantastic, fantastic little story. Similar um, to that was Quentin Fortune's upbringing, him moving over. That was one that surprised me. I didn't know that story about Quentin moving to Spurs, being the first million pound kid. Yeah. Yeah. Episode 35, Quentin Fortune. I think it was just something in my mind because you see so many images when I was growing up and I was thinking, I saw the drugs again and I saw the, the fighting, I saw the shooting and I was like, as a kid, you know, no kid's supposed to see that. No kids. And no. it's like, so in my, in the back of my head, when this opportunity came, you don't say to yourself, it just, it's something there that's just like, if I have to run 10 miles, run 20 miles. And it was almost like out of fear, just, I don't want to go back there. I do not want to go back there. So whatever this is, just go. Mm. So every training session I was there and, and there was loads of my other friends that also had the opportunity to probably go overseas as well, but they didn't turn up for training. I don't know why they didn't, but I just like, you want me to be training tomorrow? I'll, I'll be there. So there was, a, there was a few of you that you actually took out of school to, to coach and train? Yeah, there was a few that also had opportunities and I just made it. I just wanted to, to go. To so what, did you, what, about, what about your schooling and stuff? Schooling, I came over when I, I so I left school. At what age? This was 14. So I didn't make it, to be honest truth, of course, if there's kids watching, education is very important. But I couldn't care, Maisie, because I was told I'm going to play football every day. This is like Christmas to me. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, yeah. what do I have to do? Where do I have to go? Whatever. Training, no problem. I just boom, boom, boom. And then uh, after six months, he said to me, look, we're going to England. And uh, the, the contact was with Tottenham. So with Terry Venables and a guy called Barry Bridges who was in contact with Terry Venables and came over, stayed in a place called Balzai's Park in London. And that's how it all started, mate. It was just, it was like, for me, it's like a different planet because I've never been out of Cape, never been out, yeah, I've been out of Cape Town. I, tr- I started traveling when I was nine because I played for my provincial team. So we traveled with a bus to Johannesburg, Durban, but I've never been out of South Africa on a plane. Never been up there. I was trying to open the windows, Maisie. I was like, oh my goodness. There's windows that open. No. Oh, amazing. It was just, it was, it was, it was mad because you leave everything. When I look back now, I'm thinking, how in, it's by God's grace that I've survived because how in the world I leave everything? First of all, I knew a little bit about English, but because my first language is Afrikaans. Sure. And then it's just like, not, it's just everything I knew, my, my friends, my family, the, the waking up in the morning, seeing Cape Town, Table Mountain, the weather, and then you come to a place where it's like everything different, London, everything so quick, the accent, the meeting Terry Venables, going to the training ground, seeing Gaza, it's like so much. It's just so much. Were you interested in English football before this? First of all, we didn't have a TV, so <laughs> I wouldn't know. But I did I did have images of, uh, the crazy thing, I had images of, of Spurs with Steve Archibald. I saw it somewhere at someone's house, somewhere in Cape Town. And for some reason that that was in my head, I was wow, why is that in my head? But anyway, but I, the honest truth, I used to sit on the field just opposite my house 
and just imagine what life was like in England. That's all I remember. I used to look up in the sky. I know, I know I'm almost been a crazy kid. I used to sit there thinking, what is life like in in England? And for some for some reason that imagination connect with something, and I end up being in England. And uh, I just remember going to the training ground for the first time and seeing Gaza and Galenica and Terry Venables and Pat Van Den Howe and Eric Torsford and uh, Gary Mabbitt. And it's like for a kid, it's like. For me, it's like, wow, it's like another planet. Mm-hmm. And then I train, they put me with the, my age group and I train with the kids. And then one moment, I'm walking over to the first team and they said, are you joining with the first team training? No. At 14, I'm like, what? Wow. It was just mad. It was mad. How long did it take you to, because you said you didn't really speak much English, but obviously your English now is absolutely flawless. So how long did it take you to I wouldn't go that far, Sam. I wouldn't go that far with my English is flawless. So I spend most <laughs> of my time talking to David May. Your English is flawless. Brilliant. <laughs> it's a bit better than my Afrikaan, mate. <laughs> like so, so you're training. That's like incredible. 14-year-old, 15-year-old? I was 14 when I just arrived. So I trained with the first team, Maisie, and then... Wow, I kid, I kid you not. I need to find this. I need to, I need to contact someone at the, the, the Sun newspaper to see if it's always possible to find it. So in the Sun newspaper, I arrived after a month. They put a picture of me front page, the first million pound kid. Nah, I'm like, what? On the front page? On the front page, first million pound. I need to of the Sun. So I need to contact someone at the Sun. I don't know how I'm going to find, but to ask them if they can get that article because it was early night. It was like I'm sure, but I'm, I'm sure, Quinny, by the time this goes out. It was, 90, it was 91. It was 91, Maisie. And, uh, 1991. And it was crazy because it was just like, it was Christmas for me every day, Maisie. But that article was like, come on, it was like, this is ridiculous. Because every time I played for the, the youth team, so many people came to work. It was obviously now the yeah. million pound kid is, is here. On the yeah, but Quinnin, a million pound in 1991. Yeah. When he was 14. What's that worth now? 30 years later. That's got to be... 10 million, something like that, whatever was, it is. I don't know why they put that out. That's... I'm, I'm, claim, I'm going to claim that 10 million pound. <laughs> I'm going to claim it. Where's that money? That is crazy. So, so yeah, it was just crazy, amazing. It was, it was crazy. That's it, mad. And it was just uh, Gaza. I mean, seeing Gaza every day, there's always something happening and it was just the best experience. Do you remember that? He was in the front of it. And do you know what? We actually said that we were going to try and get the newspaper that said that on the front. We're going to have to work on that. I tried. Oh, did you? Producer Matt Matthew has tried. Yeah. I failed. Try a little bit harder for us, Tasker. <laughs> um, that story um, was incredible. Yeah. Quentin's story in general was just incredible. I think the most I laughed was when he told his marathon story, which I know that you'd heard already, <laughs> Maisie, but it was absolutely hilarious. hilarious. He's such a funny guy who has now gone to Reading, joined the coaching staff. So yeah. happy for him. And, and Reading are flying. They are top of the league, aren't they? Yeah. So yeah, that was one that I really, really enjoyed. I would say probably one of my top three yeah, so much time for us as well. He yeah. did. Do you know what? Sometimes you think when you ring them up that it's a chore to them. Mm-hmm. But to be fair, we've actually cut most of them short. That's yeah. true. Because of, so I said to ourselves, right, we've kept you long enough. Mm-hmm. We, could have, we could have spoke for hours. Nemanja Matic, I think, is a great example of that. Because as a current player, he's under much more scrutiny and is much more likely to get in trouble for what he says and can trip himself up, unlike, say, a Patrice Evra who's retired. So there's nothing, yeah. he, you know, he can say whatever he wants because he's retired. But 
Matic is still playing. And him telling the story of how he leaked his own transfer and stuff was amazing. Episode 45, Nemanja Matic. You were pictured, someone, someone took a photo of you in your training gear at United and leaked it online before the announcement was made. So everybody knew what was happening and everybody was excited. Did you, were you made aware no, of that? No, not someone, I will, I take the picture. Oh, did you? <laughs> no, I, I took the picture and uh, because obviously I, I, I'm not like that to take the pictures and to, to send the social media, but uh, mm-hmm. because I have a group, uh, we mentioned my village. So I have a group with 50 people from my village and 50? 50 people, uh, let's say, I don't know, maybe 48 or but more or less. So we have a group, so the, in that group are all guys that I grew up with them. So we have one group. So to be honest, they were texting every two minutes, uh, deal done, did you sign? <laughs> so, and two days I didn't reply anything. I didn't, so in that day I wake up, and I, I, I saw 70 uh, messages. Did, do you sign? They sent me uh, texts from newspapers saying, and they said it's done, this one. <laughs> so I had to, I, I sent uh, like selfie. I said, yeah. shut up. And uh, I, I was doing the, the medical test there. And of course, the, probably they sent some friends and then, mm. you know, the power of, of social media. Did, yeah. Did the job. <laughs> Did you get in trouble? No, I didn't get the, the trouble. Uh, but uh, obviously, it was was not was not my attention to to send to to, to newspaper. But you know, I for, I forgive them because they were so happy. Most of them they support United. So excited, yeah. And they had to support Chelsea because of me. But inside they, they were like. <laughs> So hang on, you have a group with forty-eight people, like your childhood <laughs> friends. That's a lot of people in one group. Yeah, if you want, I can sh- I can prove I can I have my phone here so you can see. Send a little selfie into your group of us all in the podcast. Yeah, yeah I can. I can show. That's so nice though. It's such a close community for you. Do you go back and see them often? Yeah, I, every every year in the summer or when I play national team, I always go there. I always like to to see them. We have our football club. Uh, we we made the club like five years ago. So and all my friends that I grew up with them, with some of them I played, I played uh, football when we start. So most of them they they have jobs, they they work, but they play for our club. So we decide to start from the bottom, and they 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 promote three consecutive years. They are now four division. Wow. Like, it's like League Two in England, which Amazing. of course four division in Serbia is not that professional like uh, League Two in England. But it's still, they need to train a little bit. And <laughs> <laughs> so we have the club also, and we, when I go to Serbia, I always see them, and uh, it's always good. I, I, that that friend nice. is, uh, friends are forever yeah. for the rest of my life, of course. That's class. That was really he's, on, he's, he's on WhatsApp group. And you think there's no motivation for him to tell it other than just he enjoyed telling the story. Yeah, yeah he definitely had a lot of time for us and he seemed to enjoy it. But I think that's true what Maisie said. Everybody has seemed to really enjoy them. Or maybe they just, maybe we, we just think that. Maybe they don't. <laughs> <laughs> maybe because we're enjoying ourselves. But even Paul Pogba, for example, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't feel like Paul Pogba was in a rush to get away. He really enjoyed right. telling his story. He, that was another excellent episode that I really enjoyed. My favourite thing about that was the reaction with Graham Souness and that like... He won. He was. I th- he was in the. I think at one point, 
Graham Sunes and Paul Pogba were in the top five trending topics globally because of our podcast and that by 9am in the morning Sky Sports News had Graham Sunes and Jamie Carragher getting um, well they were frothing at the mouth about uh, Pogba <laughs> saying he didn't know who he was which was which was fair enough though wasn't it yeah it was more than fair how is he going to know who some random player from like what the 70s is who played in a country he didn't grow up in yeah, exactly bit unfair to say random player but yeah it'd be like saying I don't know Maisie, who did you think was uh, the the best centre back for Madrid in the fifties? Yeah, exactly. Um, and if Maisie doesn't know all of them, it doesn't imply he's disrespectful. He just doesn't know. Yeah, but I think no. that was picked up more by the media, wasn't it? Than I'm pretty sure Graham Sunes wouldn't have been annoyed about that. I don't know. Episode twenty five, Paul Pogba. People obsess over you in a way that I don't think they do about everybody else. Do you think that that's fair? Does it, is it weird being in the eye of that storm and being like, everyone's going crazy again. I'm just sitting here eating Weetabix. And like, do you ever Google yourself to find out what the latest mad news story is? It's a lot of questions. To be honest, it was yeah. a lot of questions. I got excited. Um, yeah. I guess they miss me. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know because I'm not someone that looks uh, always at, uh, I'm, I don't, don't look uh, always at Sky News or mm-hmm. just when I sit down and he's, he's mm-hmm. on, I will, obviously I will look. But in the games, after the games, I don't, I, when I watch a game, mm-hmm. I like to watch the game and not yeah. the comment. I just you watch silence. the game mm-hmm. because when you're a fan and when you know football, you don't need someone to tell you what's happening. Sure. And uh, obviously what I hear with like few people like putting my name or oh, Paul is doing this, hey, Paul, Paul. Uh, just guess, I don't know. One day I will meet them and I will ask them. I really, yeah. I really want to know why. I mean, doing my recovery, I can be somewhere else and hear something, but I'm just doing my recovery yeah. and hear my name again, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, do, you never think, think, do you never think of like putting a message out there and saying, I'm this, I'm doing this? Or do you just... You don't want to feed it, do you? Do you like- I mean, if they want to speak, they're allowed to speak. Yeah. That's their job. For me, it's their job to speak. Does it not wind you up? No, because they've been talking. I know. I'm, I'm used to it now. I'm really used to it. So yeah. It doesn't bother Does me. Does it not piss you off? It doesn't, no, it doesn't no? bother me. It doesn't bother me. Obviously, sure, it's always good to hear good stuff than mm-hmm. bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always good. It's always better to hear yeah. that. But like I said, as a when you play football and when you hear stuff, when you know, you know yourself. Your manager know the the teammates the knows what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the rest it's just talk and yeah. selling stuff. I think because people fish, like fish and to chip hear. paper. If I you was know. you, I'd have sent Graham Sunes a picture of myself with the World Cup trophy. Just and, say, oh yeah, thanks, Graham. It's, uh, yeah, uh, me, I didn't know. I didn't know uh, who he was, really. Yeah. I didn't know who he was. I heard he was a great player and stuff like that. You and didn't even know who we were. <laughs> and I said, yeah, the name, the name. I know the face, but I, the, the name. Uh, oh, is okay. it Karen told you? Yeah. Oh, Karen. <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, I'm not someone who watch, no. uh, I love, uh, like, I watch football and stuff, mm-hmm. but... I don't stay and listen listen to what they're going to say after the game or why they done this and why, you know. I like to focus on football. Mm-hmm. Do you just feel uh, like you know yourself so that is enough for you? Yeah. If you score one goal or, or you score a hat-trick, 
you know that you score a hat trick and yeah. you play a good game mm-hmm. or sometimes you can score a hat trick mm-hmm. and play a very bad game mm-hmm. and you know yourself and if someone tell you oh you play a good game now he score three goals but he knows that he play a bad game you know sometimes it happen is like this when you know you football player or mm-hmm. football fan really like yeah. a football football fan and you know yourself if you played well or if you don't play well if you didn't play well mm-hmm. and you don't need anyone to tell you um Anything else? Yeah, yeah, anything yeah. like that, to yeah. be honest. That reminds me of the time when actually Pally nearly had a fight with a gaffer. Yes! How about that? Episode 15, Gary Pallister. If you were getting a hair dry, everybody else would be chuckling. You know what I mean? If you were in the, if yeah. you were in the gaffer's eye shot, you'd have people behind going, sort of giving you that look as like, oh, all the best, you know what I mean? <laughs> just never get but eye You just never get eye contact. You never try to get eye contact. Don't look in, because you know you're, it's coming to you. Even or sometimes Kiddo will be working in the tunnel and you go, Pally, yeah. you're getting it. He's <laughs> <laughs> after you, and you walk in there going, oh, here we go. And then sometimes you'd, you'd just stand up for yourself. Other times you'd, you'd let it roll. Um, I mean, I talk about an incident. I, I thought I was going to get the sack um, because we had a stand-up fight after the game. Not fight, but it got really, there was words said, and he told me to get off. He said, get your shirt off, get in the shower, and he said, you, you're subbed. And I went, right, stuff you, stuff the bloody... And I threw the shirt on the floor and I'd, and we were going at each other hammer and tongs and uh, we had to get separated kind of thing, you know what I mean, in case we got too close. I think probably he'd have flung a punch and I'd have fl- probably flung a punch at the time. And um, as I was walking into the shower, he'd been chatting to Archie Knox and he went, where do you think you're going? I'm getting showered, that's where I'm going. He said, you're not getting away with that easy. Get your shirt back on, get your kit back on, get back on that pitch. I went, nah. And I walked off into the shower and uh, Robbo and Brian McClare came in after me and went, listen, big man, forget about what's just going on here. He said, we need everybody out on that pitch, second half. We were getting beat 1-0 in a cup match, I think it was. And he said, uh, forget about all that. This is about us as a team. We, we want you to be out there. You need to be out there. Get your kit back on. And So I did, played the game, won the game. He had a little bit of a pop after the game, I remember. And... Um, I went back to Teesside. We had the following day off after. I went back to Teesside and got up the following morning and had breakfast with my mum and dad. I said, uh, so I think I'll be putting a transfer list today. I said, I've had a big <clears throat> big row with a gaffer. Got a bit heated. Things were said. And uh, I said, I think it's uh, I think it's going to be the end of my career. And this was at about 18 months into in, uh, being at United. So I came back. I thought, right, I'm going to, you know what I mean? I'm going to fight my corner. I, th- I thought what was said it was 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 harsh and what have you and and uh, I went up to I went up to see him. I went, no, I was asked. One of the lads came down and said the gaffer wants to see you after training the next day. So I went in and I was still full of hell. I thought I'm just going to fight my corner. I'm not going to get back down. I'm going to you know what I mean say what I feel and if I get sacked or I get transfer listed then then whatever. So I was still full of hell. I remember you used to have to knock on him and wait for him to say come in, but I knocked on his door and just pulled in and just, <laughs> like, and he went, oh, how are you, Pally? Have a seat. So I sat down and I was like, and I was just waiting for him to start and I was just ready to go again because I was still, I was still angry. But this, this and this, what, this is what I think separated him from, from everybody else. He just went, right, he said, he said, I brought you in, obviously, because of what happened the other night at halftime. And I went, yep. And he went, I just want to apologise for what I said. 
I just went, yeah. Hmm. I was like a deflated balloon. He just took everything out of me. And I went, again, I, just, I went, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and maybe I, I mean, thinking back, I always remember thinking I should have maybe apologised as well. But I was just, I was just gobsmacked yeah. that he actually went, you know what I mean? He said, he said what I said. He said I was, you know, I was out of order. Um, I hope that doesn't affect us going forward. And I, I went, yeah, no problem. He says, but I will qualify this by saying I can't have me and you having a stand-up row at half-time. And I've got, it used to be 10 minutes back then, 10 minutes to speak to the players. I can't have that happening again in my dressing room. And he says, is that OK? Put his hand out, we shook hands. And I thought that was the end of the hairdryer, how wrong I was. <laughs> and you wanted to get it just him came, hairdryer? It just came thick and fast after that. But. <laughs> <laughs> what a story that was! That was class. Get your gear off. You're off. You're off. Yeah. Goes and gets in the shower. And, all right, you better get your gear back on. You're going back out. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. That's amazing. So good. At the other end of the scale was Robin van Persie getting the opportunity to join United, but wanting to make sure the players at United were okay and wouldn't have their noses put out joint if he joined. You see, I didn't think that was that weird, but you did, Sam, didn't you? Yeah, because you think he's like he was the Premier League's top goal scorer. You, and you assume sports stars have an ego about them. And to a certain extent, you kind of hope they do, especially goal scorers, because you know, like you hear about players being confidence players. And if you use like Ronaldo as an example, imagine Ronaldo without his level of self-confidence and without his ego, he'd probably be half the player he is. Yeah, but if he came on our podcast, you would not say that. You would be like, he is the most down-to-earth person ever, because that is one thing yeah, that yeah, yeah. we have all learned, that the players, yeah. they're just normal people. Yeah. yeah, but but I, I still think it's surprising that somebody would want to make sure that the people he was going to be joining were okay. Because what if they all went, no, we don't want him here? Would he then go, oh, but I won't join Man United then? Mm, yeah, mm. It, just, it just surprised me. Yeah. Episode 40, Robin Van Persie. Uh, because there was a question from my point of view as well. Uh, before I signed, I uh, just checked. Uh, with how the older players uh, were looking at, at me coming there and playing with them, you know. I said I wanted to know, I wanted to know if, if they're okay with it or not. Uh, I, I said because we've been competing for the last eight years. I said we're all human. Uh, so uh, they said no. What, what, for, what was important for me was, was that the guys would accept me as, as the player and person who I am, yeah. you know. Um, so after, after I checked that, everything was positive and well. And, and how, they were how did you check that? Who, how, did you, how did you speak through, to somebody and say, how, how would this work? Would, is it going to be okay? Through uh, Möllerstein, the assistant okay, coach. Yeah. 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 So he did that and uh, everyone, everyone was very positive. And then, um, yeah, after that, you know, uh, after that, it's like that the trainings were different because that's with every coach. You know, it's it's not better or worse. Yeah. It's, it's just different. Uh, but what I noticed for myself as well, it is is, is that I, uh, if if I look at my body, for example, well, yeah, of course, the first couple of years at Arsenal, but when I was 25, 26, uh, but if I compare that body just physically to the body I had um, after a year in Manchester. There was more muscles. It was stronger. It was like you could could see it from my uh, up, yeah, up upper body. You could see it from my bum. Like it was uh, it was a couple of uh, yeah uh, more kilos. You know there were more kilos there. It was all muscle. Uh, that that must be you know because sometimes I ask myself the question why was that you know uh, but but that that 
yeah, must be the, the training sessions, the uh, gym sessions we did. That was in a different way. The, for the first time, I was getting to know um, parkour gym sessions. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, basically exercise after exercise after exercise for about 12 times, uh, and then a couple of rounds. You know, so it does give you extra body. Uh, so it was different, um, but but not per se better or, or uh, no. yeah, you know, it was it, it just clicked, you know. It was it was just um, I think with, with the sessions we had with Ferguson and with Möllerstein, it was very uh, focused on the next opponent. So basically, every week we had different kind of sessions. Uh, for example, if we played against uh, Chelsea, um, um, we, so the whole week we were training on. Um, going over their left side, so our right side, getting a low cross. Why a low cross? Because we need a low finish against Czech. Because Czech is very tall, Czech has difficulties going down. Uh, so that detailed, you know, and that is what I really liked. That really triggered me. Mm -hmm. It's like during the week already I could really imagine myself like an us working on that and then uh, doing it in the game, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, most of the games actually those practices did uh, actually come out. And uh, I, th I think th those practices only gave us an extra 12 points in that season. Can you remember your first conversation with Sir Alex and the expectations? Did he say, you know, I need you to score 20, 25 goals? Or was it just a case of, listen, we know what you can do. Just go out there and do it. No, I, th I think he was, uh, he was very clear. He um, uh, said that he wanted to use me as a main striker, mm -hmm. occasionally uh, behind it. But... He didn't really put a lot of pressure on me, you know, and he didn't, he just said, listen, he said, this is the reason why I buy you, uh, he said, and uh, because I believe in you, you know, the, the, I've, he uh, did believe, he uh, told me that, that uh, I, I was the missing link to, to win the league, he said that beforehand, he said, I will help you, I will help you uh, because the, the, the players need to get to know you as well, because the way you run, the, 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 the way you play, yeah. he said, um, I will make it work, you know, and those words were enough, you know, because you can talk hours, but, you know, if you just hear those couple of sentences, you think, ah, okay, you know, um, this, this will be okay, yeah. I find it fascinating that someone who is a, a senior pro, you weren't a young player when you moved to United and you had the Premier League golden boot in your back pocket and you still wanted to check that the players you were going to sign for, uh, the team you were going to sign for, the players would accept you. I think it's a really, really surprising um, sort of shyness maybe in, and humility in you that you would, you, would, you would expect someone of your stature to be happy to walk into any club. What was it like when those players did become teammates and players that you played against so many times, like Giggs and Skulls and uh, uh, Vida and Rio and Wayne Rooney? Was, was Did you instantly gel? Yes, from, from day one. And that was uh, partly because I uh, came in and I had a different role than I had at Arsenal. My role at Arsenal, I was their captain. I was one of the oldest players. It's like everything behind the, 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 the pitch, I was like... Uh, helping them uh, with, with the Christmas dinner. I was doing loads of other stuff outside the pitch as well. And that was different at uh, Manchester because you had uh, the, the core of the team. Uh, there was Vidic, there was uh, Rio, there was Scholes, uh, Giggs, Carrick. Uh, they were doing that. And then you had Fergie helping uh, here and there. So uh, I didn't really, I had to lose a lot of energy by organizing stuff, uh, yeah. So the, so the only thing I had to do was to to come in, enjoy myself, 
and play because all the side pits, all the other stuff was already done by, by, by those uh, other players who, who were uh, older than me, uh, who uh, won loads. So in a way, um, just if you look at uh, if you look at it from my point of view, it was uh, of course it's a difficult move and the pressure is on and, and you know from my point of view we, we needed to win. Um, but in the basics of like playing football, it was it was easy because uh, I didn't have to do all the other stuff on the side. Maisie, would you have ever done that? Sorry, Sam, I'm actually um, I've no idea what you said because I was actually thinking of something else to say. So I've no idea what you're on about, Bob. I would you if you were going to join when you were a player and you moved to United. Yeah. You might have asked someone you knew and said, "What are the lads like?" But would you have said, "Can you find out if they mind if I come?" God, no, no. The fact yeah. that he's joining Man United, you just think, well, if it's good enough for the gaffer, it's good enough for everybody. Mm. And if you know, if the players don't like it, tough. What you're going to do is you're bringing in a world-class player. Who scores absolute shed loads of goals to strengthen the team. And that year, United won the league. Can I ask you both who has surprised you the most? Of course you can. Thank you. Macy's on one today. Uh... I'm struggling for one that surprised me because it's not that I didn't expect any of them to be good. I was surprised by... I think Nanny surprised you. Nanny was the one I was going to say. I was going to say I was surprised by Paul Scholes being almost indifferent to his, his career. Like, he wasn't. He just, he was that good and that's what he did and he loved it and he didn't worry about it. But I think Nanny surprised me a lot. Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know what I expected from Nanny, but I guess that's Nanny all over. A little bit surprising. Yeah, and the story about him having to take the gaffer on. That was amazing. Yeah, that was brilliant. Episode 29, Nanny. I even took him one time because he was my neighbour. So I took him because we used to go to London by train. And I don't know if his wife or some of his family used to left, uh, leave him in, uh, in, the train, in the train station. So on the way back, he has no uh, driver to, to took him. And then he was looking always for someone who lives close to him to, to give him a ride. <laughs> and then I said, okay, uh, uh, boss, I can take you home. <laughs> but that day, it's so funny, believe me. The day I took him home was after a game against uh, Fulham away and I was in the bench it was 1-1 and then he, he put me on the field and uh, I give assist and then I was playing unbelievable with a lot of confidence and then we we suffered a penalty and then it was supposed Ryan Giggs take the penalty and then I just feel confident I, I grabbed the ball and Giggs didn't say nothing yeah come on take it I took the penalty and I missed <laughs> <laughs> and after after they score and we draw 2-2 and the penalty should be the 3-2. We are going back home. And that day, I said, boss, yes, I can take him home. <laughs> <laughs> I drove him home, but he didn't talk with me in the car. <laughs> because <laughs> the dressing room, he killed me. He said, Nani, who do you think you are? Who gave you the permission to take the penalty? Ryan. And then he killed uh, uh, Ryan Giggs because he said, Ryan, why are you let him take the penalty? He grabbed the ball and let him. <laughs> But, oh my God, that day was incredible. I took him home and then I feel very comfortable driving home. Did you, did he sit, were you driving your own car or was your wife driving? No, it was me, it was me, with my own car. So you were both in the front seat together? Yes, yes. But we were not talking, we were not talking. Awkward. <laughs> how, how long of a journey was that? More than five minutes? 
Oh, it was 10 minutes, I think, from <laughs> quite a long time. Max, no, Max Field of Stockport. Stockport or Max Field until... Oh, Stockport, <laughs> that's even longer. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Producer Tasker, you've sat in on all of them. What's your favourite been? Not that we're interested. Not that anyone was interested. I'm biased because Peter Schmeichel's my hero growing up, so having three hours of him telling us that, and not wanting to leave at the end of it, he could have gone on for four or five hours. Episode 20, Peter Schmeichel. My Game. view is different to to every other player yeah. on, on the pitch. And of course, for most people as well, watching the game it's very different because they, they they look at the game side on and I look at the game from behind yeah. and I see our problems very clearly I see the limitations that we have so so what made us really great was that we had Yogi and Coley up front you know being at the end of Beckham's crosses they knew that the crosses were coming in we had Gixie challenging from the right side we had this powerhouse of Keane and Skulls mm. in the middle um but because both Keane and Scholes were suspended, we had to compromise on that. And that meant David Peckin was playing midfield. Jesper Blomqvist was playing left oh, wing. Yeah. And then Gigs Ryan the was right, playing yeah. right. So we kind of, some, you know, our core strength was away. I could see that even though that Ryan was brilliant on the right hand side, he wasn't Beckham. He wasn't putting no. those crosses in. And you can see the strikers making the runs, but the ball wasn't coming. And you can see them making runs for when. From then that natural runs for when it's on the left hand side, but yes, but it's not Ryan. Mm -hmm. uh, so so he wasn't delivering, and also not to take anything away from Butty and 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 Beckham in midfield, but they Butty was quite quite solid. Um, he was he was not far off Scolzi and yeah. Keane, I have to say, but Beckham was not a central midfielder at the time he was and he didn't have the same engine and his instinct was very much to go right hand side and try to put those crosses in so we were a little bit thin in the way that we played and we couldn't really play to our strength uh, and you see this happening oh we, we've got the ball we're not really creating anything yeah so as the game progresses and we're not we're not sort of uh, we're not producing the chances that we normally would do we're starting to take chances, which is what this team was very good at. We are, we are committing more people forward. We, uh, I don't know if people remember this, but when we get the uh, the winning corner, it's that that corner is from the left hand side, and it's won by Gary Neville. Gary Neville is the right fullback, so he's completely opposite of yeah, where yeah, he's supposed yeah. to be, and that's what that was. The, and that's the players or the team that we was. We were. Gambling, and this is why they had the opportunity, obviously, to hit the post. I know Yanka hit the bar off a yeah. corner, um, but we gambled, and we, 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 you know, throwing caution to the wind, saying, "Okay, fine, we will be, we will be man against man." Mm -hmm. Not we if they had two up, normally you had three back. Well, now we're going to go man against man, and then just take whatever comes and deal with that. And sometimes it's much easier to play football that way. Because you just know you have to stay with this guy. Yeah. You know you don't have to you don't have to think about what's over there or you you have to hand him over to someone else. You just stay with that guy. But not always uh, that that uh, you're successful. Then and hence the chances that they got. And then of course. So it comes the corner. The you corner. got your head on it, didn't you? Just yeah, of course one. I did. Yeah, your dad's put that in. I think I think I just I, it, but but. So, did, so did the gaffer wave you up or did you just went that's me I'm done I'm going. I always did I I never looked no I never looked I never looked and had you had you looked and he'd have said stay 
I would have gone. Yeah. Well, you would have. <laughs> so there's no point asking. It's my last game. What <laughs> no. can you do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a brilliant one. That was up there. It was one of my favourites. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm being really boring with my analysis of these, just saying that was brilliant. But I have actually <laughs> really enjoyed yeah. every single one. I really like all the older players who, because like your, your Paul Scholes and Nanny and Phil Never are all players that I like watched when I was younger and mm -hmm. loved. And they're, they're the main United team that I remember. And when I'm when I'm old and I go, well, the players aren't like they used to be, like older people do now because the game changes and the rules will change and VAR will change. Those will be the players I talk about. But to hear the players that played before, because it's stories that you, you can't know unless you hear them tell them, has been so wonderful mm -hmm. because I can't remember who it was but someone was saying I wonder I can't maybe it was Gordon Hill he used to go and sit at the different tables with at like the, the the United events so he'd go and listen to the boys that played in like the the 40s then he'd go and listen to the guys that played in the 50s so that he had those stories and it's sort of like that like he was an incredible talker and um, we didn't need to be there we could have just said go and off he went well um, I pretty much did I don't think I spoke yeah. the whole time I think no, during it, I sent Tasker a message saying, is Helen okay? Because <laughs> he just didn't say any words. I didn't want to keep, I didn't want to interrupt yeah. him because he was such a good talker. He could have just spoke the whole time. That was brilliant. That was when he introduced Simon to the group. Yeah, and for the people that haven't listened to that, they must be so confused. Yes, he had called Sam Simon um, throughout, well, it wasn't throughout, it was mainly in the last kind of... No, it was throughout, it. it was... Was it throughout? Yeah, it, it, was. Was. it got progressively <laughs> worse. But. You got more confident with it. Episode 42, Gordon Hill. It is named Theatre of Dreams for reasons. It is, it, is, it is a theatre of dreams for every single player, whether it was my era, Bobby's era, Way before that 48 team era. Do you know what I did? I used to enjoy most of all going to Old Trafford when we had the former players' dinners. Mm -hmm. And I would I would sit purposely on the 48 team that won the cup. I'd sit there and I'd be like this, listening to all their stories. The stories, the 48, then it goes further, then it comes up to, then all of a sudden that you're, you're with, with uh, you know, the, the former association, which do a fantastic job of, Raising yeah. money, you know, Dave Sadler, you know, mm -hmm. that, you know, Sadler, yeah. people, they they all have got their stories about who's tight in the team, <laughs> who doesn't like training, who, and it, you you're getting it from ten, fifteen years in increments. This team had these players that did this. This, oh, do you remember? Yeah, yeah. Little cookie didn't want to do this, or you, you get these stories, and all of a sudden, like you get it now, and then you say, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't like training on a Saturday, or he doesn't like, and and these stories are something that they're priceless. Of course, yeah. They're priceless about a club that has that has that has come through, and and you know to play for them. I mean, crumbs. I'm 66, and I tell you what. I've got a field looking out. I'm looking out from here. I'm looking out my field that I've just done. And in front of me, I've got a bird stand with two hummingbirds that come down and I've made friends with. <laughs> and you know what? Looking at this grass field brings every single memory back from playing football. Every memory. I sit there and, and I don't know if you do that, Dave. I don't know if you sometimes sit there. I sit, when I go back to Old Trafford every year and do the tour, I, I let them go on the tour and I sit in the stands 
on my own, maybe either in the north stand or the south. I sit there on my own and I look around the grass, just the grass, just the field. And I, and I look and I, and, I, and I can see players and I can see what happens. And, and if you could bring it to life, you'd bring every game that was played at Old Trafford back. Magical. It has been uh, an unbelievable pleasure to listen to your stories. Oh, so much so. So passionate. I, I think, I mean, we've done nothing. This is the least any of us have ever spoken on a podcast by a huge amount because you're just a, such a natural storyteller that I'm sure we'll have to have you on again. Um, but because of timing right now, uh, we've got to yes. say goodbye. But thank you so much no, um, for, for joining us and sharing your stories. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Brilliant. It's been a, it's been a dream. I've just, I've just sat here remembering I'm supposed to be, we're supposed to be making this podcast. I've just been sat listening like I'm, I hope everybody else listening has been. <laughs> just sitting there going, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. It's it's the same from different eras, Simon. It's the same. It's just they got the stories and the stories. It's just God. It's is just actually called the ones I God is is called Sam. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Sam. That's good. <laughs> you know, I, I Sam Sam Sam. I do I do apologise, but my son is called Sam as well. So I do apologise. Evans, Don't I do apologise. It's a close name. Players have this tendency to forget people. <laughs> He was class. Yeah, he was amazing. Golden was class. Yeah, absolutely oh, brilliant. So funny, so so funny. Brilliant. And that's it. Those were our best bits from our first fifty episodes. Well, forty-nine if you don't count this one. If you haven't listened to all of those in full yet, hopefully that picked your interest, and you can go back and listen for absolutely free. Alternatively, they are available to watch in full on MUTV if you prefer looking at our faces. David Nobody May, prefers that. Let's be honest. Oh. Shots fired at David May. Sorry, I'm speaking on behalf of myself. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. <laughs> Can't believe we've done all that and haven't even mentioned Ryan Giggs, like one of the biggest legends of all time at the club. Haven't even mentioned him. <laughs> um, so we've done those 50, 49. What, um, who do you want next? What are the dream bookings for the future? I think, I think it's that... really... Go on. Sorry, no, no, go on, Bells. No, no, go on, mate. I was just going to say, I think having that conversation before we listened to those clips made me realise that sometimes the people that you really look forward to or the ones that you think are not going to have a great story are the ones that you actually enjoy the most. So I'm going to be completely open there and say, I don't know. Because it could be someone that I don't know lots about their career, you know, somebody from the older generation that I end up absolutely loving. Yeah, that's a very good point. Johnny Evans? Johnny would be good, Maisie, but we don't have a contact. That's the only problem. Who would we know? Is it Lester now? Yeah. Do we, can we, do we know anyone at Lester? Think, he's a mysterious guy. No, he does, does he have a family? I don't know. What does he do in his spare? I don't know. Is Johnny even his real name? Yeah, nobody knows. Jonathan. He's a mysterious guy. He's hard to track down. I know. Do you know what? We'll look into that. I'll try and get a contact for him. All right, nice. Okay. Well, if you think you know someone yeah. who might know him, that'd be cool. <laughs> obviously, Sir Alex. Sir Alex. Sir Alex, is Alex obviously, dream. is the dream. I don't know how we do it though. How do you, how do you do that with Sir Alex? If you if we only get like an hour or something, how on earth do you do you whittle it all down? Yeah, it needs to be a you weekly don't. episode. That one. Yeah, we could do fifty episodes on him. I think trying to find trying to find out information on the guests and the future guests that nobody else already knows is the hard part. Yeah. yeah. And for Sir Alex, how can we ask him questions that he's never been asked? Probably the top five. The, the top. The top five. I would say that's most requested. Certainly, the gaffer's number one. Yeah. Rooney, Ronaldo, Bex, and Keeney. 
Keeney is the most requested, I would say. Yeah. Roy Keane has to be the most requested person on our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Even maybe before Sir Alex. Yeah. Well, hey, if any of those are listening, get yeah. in touch, please. If you're listening, and you, if you are Roy Keane, you want to come on, we've got some questions for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So basically, I look forward to every single one. That was what I was trying to say, because some stories you don't know. Some stories you do know already, but you still enjoy them. So I enjoy every single one. Yeah, it's great coming out of the horse's mouth, isn't it? The actual players telling those yep. stories. You can hear them third party and they don't really, they don't come across. But when the lads tell them, they're just different class. We also haven't touched on um, an episode that I think contained perhaps the most poignant moment out of all of them in terms of what it's like to be a footballer at Manchester United. And that was David May sharing his champagne on a bench. I know. I can't believe we haven't even spoken about yours, May say. That was absolutely incredible. Yes, that was uh, very emotional for me. Mm -hmm. That that time, that was the time I left the club. That was the last time officially spending time with the lads last last day of the season. It was. Mm -hmm. That was very emotional, May say. Sorry, I've got a little friend beside me who's... This is the most engaged Maisie's ever been with a podcast. <laughs> Can I just say that's been one of my challenges over Zoom? The stress thinking the children are going to come into the room like now. Right, go and see Daddy, I'm nearly finished. No. Heidi, go and tell him and then come back. Go go and bring Daddy. Go and bring him and say, why aren't you doing a podcast? Just include him at the end. He's, I don't know where he is. I think he's on a trampoline. Outside. Oh, for sake. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> he is with the children on the trampoline. <laughs> Guys, I've got to go. Can we do, do some emails quick, please? Thank you. Where, you, where are you going, Maisie? Well, I'm up in, uh, right now I'm up in Royal Troon, so um, I'm going to go and play golf. So, I didn't know you played guys, golf. I didn't know either. Yeah. Yeah. Like golf. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's absolutely glorious outside. The sun is cracking the flags. It's so, really dark. Helen, please get into your head that this possibly could be in the morning. Nobody knows that. In the magic of podcasts. The magic of podcasts. Guys, I'm sure we've got loads of emails, so come on. We do. Let's fire away. I've got one here from Andrew Talbot who says, Hi all, great podcast. I've listened to nearly every single one since lockdown. Keep up the good work. I still have a mug I got from the club shop above Clinton cards that Lee Grant mentioned. It must be 26 years old now. It's seen better days. I believe I got it in 1994, which is when I went to my first game. Eight years old and now I'm a season ticket holder. Can't wait to get back and see the team again. All the best, Helen, Maisie and Simon with a little winky face, Andy. And he's got a picture of his mug too. And to be fair, it's a great mug. That's lasted well, that hasn't it? 26 years old. It's lasted really well. He's hand washing that. That's not a dishwasher. That's why. No, the colour's still there. Taking care of his mug. Good work, Andy. I'm going to read one from Graham Kinchin. Quick message to say thanks for keeping me going over the last six months. After a major leak at home, I had over 200 porcelain tiles to remove and scrub before they could be replaced. Ooh, it was a job I was dreading until I discovered your podcast. Now 48, I've been a United supporter all my life. I vividly remember the last minute Gary Bailey saved to keep us in the cup final against Brighton in 83 and the dark years before Fergie. I love all the guests, which gives us an insight into what happens behind the scenes, especially with the backroom staff. 
off. Keep it going because all these tiles need to go back on yet and I can't do it without you. And that's from Graham in Plymouth. Good luck, Graham. That is quite a job. Can I just request that it's 50 episodes. Maisie's never read an email. I think it's time. Yes. What? Time for you to do an email. Read that one, Maisie. Guys, really loving the podcast. Um, I'd like to suggest Brian McLeod, who I actually texted the other day. Good. There you go. One of Fergie's first signings, a prolific striker turned midfielder. Rumoured to be the first name on Fergie's uh, team sheet back in the day. Experienced of rebuilding and helping the young kids come through. He was one player that won absolutely numerous trophies and dominated the 90s. He'd be an absolute fantastic guest. That's from Ben Scotland. Thank you, Ben, for sending that in. That was beautifully read. Guys, I can just deliver it. Troops, I will see you through the window. Have a great evening. Troop and Troon, enjoy. I shall. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, Gustav Dahlberg says hey there since I started listening to this pod I can't stop all days at work I got your voices in my ear the best one so far must be the Albert Morgan that man could really tell stories I want to have the king of Glasgow Henrik Larsson or the biggest talent that didn't make it Ravel Morrison would have some insane stories best regards from Sweden two very good requests there I think that Ravel Morrison would be an excellent guest. I think that would be really interesting. Um, thank you so much to all of you that have stuck with us for these first 50 episodes. Hopefully there'll be 50 more just as good as these ones and then 50 more and 50 more. And um, so we've done absolutely everybody that's ever donned the red or been associated with Manchester United because it is really a pleasure. Um, so wherever you are, take care of yourself. If you want to get in touch with us, you can. You can email us, unitedpodcast at mayunited.co.uk. That email address is in the show notes. Um, you can give us your suggestions, your thoughts, your feelings. Just tell us how you're doing because sometimes it's good to check in um i know that's not what we do this for but still i've gone rambly happens sometimes we have loved it and can i just say sam before we go please how lucky are we oh my goodness we are lucky we have the best job ever i know it's absolutely ridiculous is uh is so much fun now that maisie's gone because he might not says his best job ever because he has actually played for manchester united yeah so maybe just for us i have to remind myself when we send messages in the whatsapp group that like yeah that's maisie sure but like that's David May. I know. He won the treble. Like, he'd hate it if we said that when he was here. He'd get all emotional and sad and, and uh, embarrassed. But what a guy. <laughs> Maisie's the best, isn't he? It is incredible. Just sitting down and talking to people is just wonderful. It is. We are very, very lucky. And thank you, yeah. as Sam said, to everybody who continues to listen. We really, really appreciate all your comments, reviews, tweets. Anything that you send us, we really, really appreciate. And we really hope that you keep listening because we do have so much more for you to come. Yeah. So on that note, Sam, I will see you for episode 51. Yeah, we'll be back at it. We'll see you then. Yes, see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.